0: Please stand for a reading from the Holy Gospel. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Saint Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. After eight days were accomplished, that the child should be uh, circumcised, his name was called Jesus, which was called by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And after the after the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. They carried him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. <clears throat> Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was with him. And he had received an answer from the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. And he came by the Holy Spirit into the temple and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant according to your word and peace, because my eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were wondering at those things which were spoken concerning him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be contradicted, and your own soul a sword shall pierce that out of many hearts, thoughts may be revealed. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I thought since it's the three o'clock hour, we did our Divine Mercy Chaplet, we could reflect on our, our Lord's Passion a little bit and And uh, Our Lady's passion, certainly her spiritual passion, being uh, right next to Our Lord. (laughs) You know, a few years ago, I think uh, a tremendous, maybe one of the most tremendous movies ever to come out, uh, gave insight into the Lord's passion, called The Passion of the Christ, right? Mel Gibson's movie. And one of the, uh, I think, unforeseen. At least, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard, one of the unforeseen effects of that movie was an incredible um, appreciation for Mary, for the Blessed Mother, and this came not from Catholics so much. I mean, we we've kind of we intuit these things from the time that we're children. If we do Stations of the Cross, you know, we we know that fourth station. We know we we hear the last wor- seven last words. Uh, um, we know Our Lady's role in the Passion of Our Savior, but I think for for our Protestant brethren, that was really eye opening, wasn't it? And that it just brought forth, in a way, her her dignity, her maternal role, her mission was connected to Jesus the whole time. It didn't end with with Jesus at thirty years old, right? It continued on until she was assumed into heaven. And one of the two powerful scenes in that movie, of course, were one where Jesus is older, and he is a carpenter making a table. Remember that scene? And he's making the table. It's higher than they, they eat, sit on the floor and eat on the floor with the slow tables. And he was making a big one, and Mary couldn't figure it out, and then he splashed her with water, right? And the second one... She has a flashback when she's, this is the forest station, and she's meeting our Lord uh, on the way of the cross, and she flashes back to when he's a little kid, and he falls down and she runs. They're incredibly moving. I mean, you got to have a box of Kleenex with you, right? No matter how many times you see those scenes. You know, it speaks something of us, to us, that uh, meditation the saints say, on the passion of our blessed Savior is perhaps one of the most powerful ways to grow in your spiritual life. And I've often wondered what went on in Mary's heart during that time. I've thought about it for many years. And, you know, I know I'm not alone. Uh, The last three months, I, I just recently got back a couple weeks ago, I spent three months in Rome for a priestly program, a priestly sabbatical program. And there was a lot of nice perks of that program. You get to travel around Rome, get to see the Vatican, private tours, yada, yada. And um, one of the most moving parts of the three months for me, well, two of the most moving were private tours of the Sistine Chapel. Wow. Michelangelo and a private tour of the Pietà. Now, you know, they have the big bulletproof glass there, right? Because in the early 70s, a guy went there and broke off Mary's arm and her nose and chiseled away, and they restored her almost perfectly. At any rate, the head of the St. Peter's Art and the Museum, she took us right back there. Oh, we felt, you know, everyone else has to stand back a mile, take their pictures, we're in there. And she said, the last person who was in here was President Trump. I guess he had been there two weeks before. She said, only heads of state get in here, all right? So here we are. We're looking at the Pieta. And some guys, of course, are sneaking little, you know, they're feeling her, her, her feet and everything and getting selfies and things, you know, when they're not looking. And and um, and you could tell, like, the guards were there just always watching us, you know, out of the corner of their eye. And I had seen the I had seen the statue of the Pietà many times um, behind the glass, but usually there's a big crowd of people, so you don't appreciate it, you know. And you can, you can see it in the pictures, but seeing it up close, I'll tell you, it's one of the most incredible works of art I've ever seen. And so many people have have made. He uh, have, had have famous quotes about Michelangelo's Pieta. Certainly he was a young man. He's 24 years old. Making this one piece of marble into this is just amazing. Yet you know where he got his inspiration from, a large part? His mother died when he was young. And he loved his mother very dearly. And what he recollected from his mother's face, he, in a way, put on that statue. Isn't that beautiful in a way when you think about a mother's pain and those of you who are mothers there um it's something that's very moving it's something that in the in the movie the passion that affected worldwide audiences the pain of a mother the pain of a mother you see a mother um You know, she, in a way, uh, at least ideally speaking here, but I think more often than not it works out this way, a mother, she doesn't really think much of herself when it comes to her children. When it's to the husband, maybe, okay? But with the children, you know, my life, I sacrifice my life for my children. That's how, certainly how Our Lady was. You know, in the Gospels, there was a prefigurement, I think, of Our Lady's pain. Her sorrow, that Jesus foresaw. There was a, a woman, and she was a widow. She had only one son, so she'd lost her husband. Now she lost her one and only son, the widow of Nain. And there was the funeral coming out of town. Jesus took a look at this. Now, I can imagine our Lord looking at this and thinking about, perhaps one or two years into the future. And seeing the pain of this mother losing the husband and now losing her only son, it moved him so much he stopped the funeral procession and said to the boy, get up, there he goes, What of Jesus' resurrection um, miracles. I think it, he intuited the pain of that widow you know, and it would be it would be terrible. It's a terrible pain that I think our Lady felt. Harriet, Harriet Beecher Stowe, you may have heard that name. She, of course, wrote that famous book that millions have read, uh, Uncle Tom's Tom's Cabin. She was a very devout Christian Calvinist, and one time she went over to Europe to visit many different places, and because uh, she loved art and she loved artworks and sculptures. And she found herself in the Sistine Chapel area, and she saw Raphael's Jewish maiden, Madonna. who It was a very realistic painting. And this is what she says. This is from a Calvinist. Uh, she says, um, this affected her so deeply. She saw in it, quote, the idea of sorrow in heaven, sorrow for the lost, In the heart of God Himself, which forms the most sacred mystery of Christianity. Well, not bad for a Calvinist, right? And it this this Raphael's Madonna of Our Lady of of Sorrows, in a way, it inspired her to write a beautiful poem. Mary at the foot of the cross. Here's a Calvinist woman, right? Her father was a Calvinist preacher. Her husband was a Calvinist pastor. And here she writes this, this beautiful poem about Mary at the foot of the cross. I, I, um, it was about two years ago. I had somewhat of an insight. It's very m- mysterious what's going on in our Blessed Mother's life and her interior. Um, but I felt like I, I had touched a little bit of it. I had a good friend who had uh, three or four children, and he developed a brain tumor. And be, now I know it's, it's just terrible, but be, as soon as he got the brain tumor diagnosis, his wife left him. Oh, the poor Job. He was like a Job, you know, and he had to go through all of the, of course, the cancer treatments, and little by little, uh, he, he got worse and worse and ended up dying. And I did the funeral, and I did the... Uh, and I did the, uh, the service, the burial service as well. I was somewhat friends of the family. And afterwards, uh, I had not met his mother before, so it was at the—we had just buried him. We were all putting the roses, and uh, very sad for a young father and his children and the whole family, the brokenness of the family. And uh, so I, uh, I knew his sister quite well, and his sister said, Father Anthony, this is my mother— I said, well, I'm very sorry for your loss. I I knew your son very well. He's a dear friend of mine. And uh, and she says to me, this is the third of my four children that I've buried. No one should have to go through this. And let me tell you, as a priest, I did not know what to say. <laughs> I said, my prayers are with you. And I felt like I, I touched a little bit of what was going on in the heart of our Blessed Mother. I often think that um, on Good Friday, if you could get a drone, one of those drones that can kind of go around, you know, and, you, and it's above Jesus and it can go around the people, and what do you see? What would you see, right? A 360. You would see um, our Lord on the cross there at the center, right? And, and our ladies there two thieves. You have a number of Jewish priests there, religious leaders. You have the Romans there. What is Our Lady experiencing in all of this, and not just uh, the loss of her son? Our Lord, we, and rightly so, uh, dress him modestly on the cross, but the Romans did not do so. It was a great act of humiliation. So here's a, a mother Not only grieving uh, the dying of her son, but incredible humiliation before the world. No clothes on at all. What else does she experience? She experiences the blaspheming of the Jewish priests at her son. She experiences the diabolical activity of the soldiers. They are gambling. This is not a virtuous act, and it is not from God soldiers who crucified her son you know flippantly gambling for his clothes she hears this this blasphemy of both thieves one changes his tune but in the beginning both thieves are blaspheming her son she experiences the absence of his closest followers whom she would have known well and loved Mothers, you know what you experience through your children, huh? She, she would have experienced all of this. I think our Lord's biggest suffering from the cross was seeing his mother. I really do. I think as bad as the nails were and everything else, I think the biggest suffering for him was to see his mother go through the suffering. I, I think that would be for me, you know? And of course... Her greatest suffering is to see her son like this. And the emotions that must have been going on in her heart, I don't know. But it certainly was sorrow. It certainly was not happiness, whatever that means, right? Um, Our Lord himself forgave everyone. He prayed to forgive everyone. He prayed to his father in an incredible darkness. Uh, in his humanity. You would think that Our Lady is somehow accompanying our Lord in all of those. There was, um, you may remember back in 2012, a woman, Jennifer Hubbard, and she lost her daughter in the Newtown, Connecticut, Sandy Hook um, tragedy where 20 kids um, were killed and six adults were killed and her six year old daughter was killed. Jennifer Hubbard, devout Catholic, now, and she gave a number of interviews after that had happened. At least a few months after that, she's actually written for Magnificat, and she relates that in that time they weren't so devout Catholics, you know. And she says when that happened. She said, of course, to God, she said uh, she hated, obviously, losing her daughter, what had happened. She hated the fact that God allowed this to happen to her son. Uh, She hated the fact that her daughter was gone and it seemed like the house was, was so, so quiet. But then she says this, quote, Then God began to fill the holes of my heart. Because when you let God heal you, allow Jesus to come into your life, your perspective changes. I believe that when you are at your weakest and there's nothing that you can possibly do, that's when you find God, the real God. And I'm still standing, and in some ways, I'm standing stronger than when Catherine was still alive. Here's a mother who lost due to horrible circumstances her beautiful daughter and would have every right, would have every right to kind of lash out at at God, little bits there, you know. But she says that with, with Jesus the perspective changes, you see. What becomes a actually a terrible um thing, in, in many ways, becomes the salvation of the world and the sign of the salvation of the world. I, did, I said this story uh, last year, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. It's, a, it's, an, it's another story that might give us a little insight to Our Lady. In uh, 1870, in France, a young man was born named Gabriel Gargum. And to a devout Catholic family... And by the time he was 15, so about 1885, uh, he was a self-avowed atheist. And, you know, uh, in my travels and my experiences, I hear from a lot of mothers about their sorrows and grandmothers that their children and grandchildren have lost God. It's something I saw with my parents. It bears heavy on their heart. It's like losing a son. It's this incredible suffering. And Gabriel's mother, of course, um, was very, very hurt by his disavowal of of God, of, of our Lord. And in 1899, just before he was 30, Gabriel's working for these trains that deliver mail in France. And there was a terrible accident where two trains collided, and he was thrown, I don't know, 50 feet into the snow and became paralyzed uh, from the waist down. And he really withered away to nothing. Over the two years, he could only be fed uh, by a feeding tube once a day with liquids. So he got down to about 78 pounds, yet still wanted nothing to do with God. As a matter of fact, he, uh, he didn't believe in God, but I suppose if he did... He was very angry with God for allowing this to happen, right? But the mother, this is the love of a mother and the prayers of a mother, did not stop. She kept encouraging him and and actually encouraged him to go to Lourdes, France. You've heard of Lourdes, France. I'm sure some of you have been there. And she kept encouraging him, encouraging him, go to Lourdes. And so, Finally, he was really on death's doorstep. The doctors wanted to hear nothing of Lourdes. And there was a, was a trip from her parish uh, that was going, taking a train ride down to Lourdes. And uh, she says, why don't you go? Why don't you go? He finally was like, okay, I'll go. Right? But I don't believe in anything. So she says, great. When the doctor said, he's not going. And she said, he's going. This is a good mother. You know? Good mothers, they... You, you, uh, they don't give up easy. They don't give up easy. You've got to keep fighting. And uh, this is Our Lady, too. She doesn't give up. She doesn't give up standing by that cross. They get him on the train. They get him down to Lords. They get him off the train, and something miraculously happens. And, of course, Our Lady be- uh, the mother believed that Our Lady was going to heal him, heal her son. She was convinced of it. But something beautiful happened. They got him off the train, and they were about to rush him over to the baths because he was dying. And, but he had just enough energy in him to go to confession and communion. Some miracle happened that when he got off the train. And he said later in life, it was the greatest moment of his life, that confession And that Holy Communion, which he hadn't had since he was 15 years old. Well, they rushed him over to the icy baths, (laughs) plunge a dying man into the icy baths, and guess what happened? He appeared dead. He stopped breathing. They put a sheet over him. So Gabriel and the mother was, well, she was happy, went to confession and communion. She really thought he was going to get the miracle. And uh, a bishop came down that day with a Eucharistic procession, thousands of people there, and he saw the family and the parish who were with Gabriel and the sheet over him. They were mourning and weeping. It had been a few minutes since he died, and he did a little blessing with the Blessed Sacrament there. And guess what happened? Gabriel sat up and then stood up, now, here's a man who was paralyzed from the waist down for two years. He was just, just a skeleton. And he says, I'm healed. <laughs> the mother faints, right? <laughs> the mother absolutely faints. She doesn't, she's out cold and everyone else is screaming and everyone, they couldn't believe it. Because they saw the man come in there in the stretcher. He was dead. And then all of a sudden he's jumping around. It's an amazing story. And I love that story because certainly Our Lady has her hand in there as well. Our Lady understands. You don't have to, not just mothers. She understands loss. She understands sorrow. A, a sword would plunge into her heart. Luke, that word for sword is not a little knife. It's the big sword. It's two-edged Meaning, it does a lot of damage. It really hurts. This is again. It's not just the for her, the loss of her son. That's well, primarily that, but it's all these other things that compound it, right? The complete rejection, the demonic activity, the betrayal, uh, the desertion, everything that surrounds this. She bears in her heart. She knows the sorrows that we go through, not just the sorrows, but the deep ones that cut to the heart. Losing of a spouse, losing of a child. She understands that. And that's why I think she's so, so instrumental in our healing uh, when we experience these things uh, in our life. She never gave up, brothers and sisters. She never gave up, and she had heard those words. She pondered them. She guarded them. She treasured them, the words that he will rise on the third day. If Our Lady teaches us anything about the cross and about the loss of our loved ones, it's hope. This is not the last word of losing someone we cherish. She teaches us hope. I'll leave you with Perhaps my favorite poem of Our Blessed Mother by a great uh, writer, English writer of the 20th century, Hilary Belloc, from England. And it's a, it's a poem about Our Lady at the foot of the cross. And it goes like this They warned Our Lady for the child. That was Our Blessed Lord. She took him into the desert wild over the camel's ford. And a long song she sang to him, and a short story told. She wrapped him in a woolen cloak to keep him from the cold. But when our Lord was a grown man, the rich they dragged him down. They crucified him on Golgotha, out and beyond the town. They crucified him on Calvary upon an April day. And because he'd seen her little son, he'd been her little son, she followed him all the way. Our Lady stood beside the cross, a little space apart. And when she heard our Lord cry out, a sword went through her heart. They laid our Lord in a marble tomb, Dead in a winding sheet, but Our Lady stands above the world with the white moon under her feet.